People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. If you work in commercial real estate, you will have heard of PropTech recently. And it is likely that either you or one of your friends has an idea of how to improve commercial real estate through an innovative product or service. RET Ventures will likely be the firm you'll meet if this is your goal, because they are solely focused on PropTech and look for ways to bring these innovative companies to the mainstream. Today's conversation with Aaron Rue, a vice president at RET, gives us a glimpse of his company's activities, how the world of PropTech breaks down, and what are some areas where there has been lots of activity. It's a bright future from the industry indeed. Welcome to the pod, Aaron. Aaron, good morning. How are you? Good, Vlad. Thanks for uh, taking the time and, and having me on. Happy to do so. Happy to do so. Where do we find you? Where are you today? So our fund is actually based out in Park City, Utah. So I, I moved out to Park City at the beginning of last year from the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, and and honestly, you know, my wife and I we we never thought we would leave the Bay Area, but with uh, COVID and everything else, just had a bit of cabin fever and and uh, decided yeah. to move out here, and we've <laughs> we've loved it. Yeah, the, does Spark City love you back? <laughs> Most importantly, <laughs> no. It's it's great. There's actually a lot of people who've moved here from New York and LA and Florida and Texas. Probably much the, to to the chagrin of of the locals here. But yeah, uh, it's yeah. it's becoming a bit of a tech hub in some ways. Yeah, yeah. No, that that seems to be kind of the uh, you know general feedback you hear about you know people kind of moving from some of these. Uh, you know, coastal areas, if you will, right? Um, so, Aaron, by way of introduction, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your 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 fund, your fund, your background, sort of, you know, how how you got to what you're doing today. Sure. Yeah. So, I'm a vice president uh, on the investment team at RET Ventures, and um, you know, I I had a bit of an interesting path into venture capital. I, I didn't know if if I wanted to to do investing. I wasn't one of those people who you know, was born thinking they would be an investor. But um, I, I started off uh, for, for a number of years before business school uh, doing M&A at an investment bank and then uh, corporate development for, for uh, a couple of companies and, and went to business school and, and thought about what I wanted to do next and, and got a couple of years of operating experience in at a technology company uh, in the Bay Area, helping them ramp up to IPO. And then uh, transitioned to venture capital about four years ago. Um, so I've been working with entrepreneurs and investing in, in technology startups for uh, about four years and joined RET, uh, as mentioned at the beginning of last year. And uh, our, our fund, RET, stands for Real Estate Technology Ventures. So 
Um, as the name implies, we're, we're focused on investing in technology that impacts the, the built world and the real estate industry. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I think there's about 10 funds in the space now uh, that, that are focused on prop tech yeah, in some yeah. way. I was going to say that's not sort of a usual path for a venture capital fund. Usually they kind of stumble into this industry, right, through... Uh, maybe a founder worked somewhere or there was some sort of you know relationship to the commercial real estate space but you guys are specifically focused on this which is sort of interesting so tell us a little bit about maybe you know the background of some of your partners and you know do, do folks come from real estate is you know what what how much experience have you guys had in that in that space yeah so our, our managing partner John Helm has has worked in the real estate space for over 30 years so he uh, started out uh, in, as the CFO of Marcus and Milchamp uh, many, many years ago, and then had a couple of uh, very successful exits in the space. And so uh, I think he, he knows everyone uh, who, who operates in, in commercial real estate. And, and he started the fund in 2017. And I think as we've grown the team, we've tried to bring in a mix of folks with uh, you know, real estate experience, um, real estate investment banking uh, experience, but but also a number of generalists like myself. Right, I yep. had worked for a number of years at, at a VC that that was a, a generalist fund, um, and I think uh, having uh, fresh perspectives um, and and folks that that have uh, the, the ability to to look and and. Uh, you know, focus on on both process, but but also uh, investing and have a broader view of of the market has been helpful. So we actually um, spend a lot of time with our strategic LP base uh, and and use them as a way to vet our investments. So um, I think you know, as I was saying, there's about ten prop tech funds in the space today um, of various sizes, and I think the the thing that you know stands out for us at RET is we we haven't raised money from. Uh, the usual uh, sources of LP capital and venture capital. So folks like, you know, endowments, institutions, family offices, um, all of our capital today comes from strategic partners. And what that means is um, we we essentially have three buckets of, of operators that have given us capital. Um, the first is multifamily uh, operators, uh, large public REITs like Essex, Cortland, uh, UDR, Mid America, um, and and then multi uh, single family rental operators like Invitation Homes and Progress, uh, home builders like Lennar and Toll Brothers are all investors in our fund, and we use them uh, to to vet investments. Um, we're constantly looking for investments that solve their business problems. Uh, so pretty early in diligence, as we identify interesting startups, we'll put them in front of our LPs and ask them, "Hey, you know, would you guys use this product?" Uh, and then from there, you know, if we do end up making an investment, we uh, really try to drive strategic value both for our startups but also for our LPs and having them do business together. So I think that's been the interesting approach, and that's allowed us to hire you know, a combination of generalists and, and real estate experts as well. Right? Um, a lot of our real estate expertise comes from our LPs and, and from the fact that they're operating daily in the industry and can tell us you know, whether these technologies would help them uh, in, in the way that they run their businesses. Yeah, that's actually very interesting. And I think it sort of uh, gives you a slightly different perspective, you know, not necessarily, you know, chasing the highest return, although I'm sure you are, but you get to also, you know, provide uh, products to your, you know, investment folks, right? And kind of let them be the beta testers, if you will, <laughs> of, uh, of uh, some of those things. So what are some of the big kind of milestones for the firms? And, and you know, m maybe can you highlight some, some, you know, places where you guys have already invested? 
Yeah, sure. So we, uh, just for context, uh, are investing now out of Fund 2. Uh, our, our Fund 1, uh, we closed at about $105 million, and, and that's performing really well, um, top decile returns compared to, the, to its vintage. Uh, we have one company, Smart Rent, which uh, is is uh, ha- has gone public through a SPAC and is okay. uh, uh, has been a big win both in terms of our returns, but also uh, you know many of our LPs are customers, and and I think that's a good example of sort of a win win where you know we've driven value for the company and and helped really incubate them from seed to to a public market exit in an accelerated amount of time, uh, but also uh, you know have fundamentally changed the way that uh, you know some of our LPs operate their business because of Smart Rent's product offering. Um, right now we're investing out of Fund Two, which is substantially bigger than Fund One, so. Uh, we closed that last summer uh, at around 165 million, uh, and and so out of those two funds, we've made 23 investments to date uh, that that span the gamut really of uh, prop tech and, and real estate technology. Um, you know, it's anything from large scale uh, enterprise uh, focused companies like Smart Rent, um, you know, companies like Ingrain and SitePlan that that sell to RLP base, uh, all the way down to to products that. You know, Vlad, folks like me or you would use to manage a smaller portfolio of of real estate, uh, and and so we're seeing a lot of interesting cross pollination uh, across the real estate industry, where uh, a lot of what large enterprise operators are doing are also trickling down to uh, you know smaller, uh, as we call them, long tail mom and pop investors in, in real estate, and so um, we we take a pretty holistic view of the industry. Uh, we're you know, open for business across uh, you know different sectors, and we we typically like to focus on investing relatively early. So, uh, you know, we always say Series A is our sweet spot. We've flexed down to seed, flexed up to Series B uh, from time to time. I think uh, in in this market, you have to be fairly flexible with how you yeah. deploy capital. Uh, but that that's our investment focus is you know anything broadly in, in prop tech um, that that's relatively early stage, but post product market fit. Um, Aaron, one of the things um, over the kind of life cycle of you know any industry is that you know over time there is you know in the beginning there is usually a lot of companies that are innovating, trying to kind of make make something out of themselves and sort of figure out where exactly do they do they do they play. But but over time, you know, you start to see certain you know verticals or maybe buckets of how these companies uh, are are evolving. Is is there such a breakdown already happening in the prop tech space? And maybe could you give us a bit of a primer in terms of like you know wh- where wh- what what are some of these emerging areas where these companies are starting to focus on? Yeah, sure. So I think the way we look at you know, prop tech as a space is that uh, across the board, it's it's relatively early. Um, real estate as an industry uh, is one that that in in many ways is is quite behind other verticals uh, in terms of uh, technology adoption, and you you can see that uh, starting with things like construction, where a lot of the construction methods used today. Are the the same as what you know how buildings were built 40, 60, 80 years ago? Um, I think a, a commonly shared stat, you know, in the construction tech industry is it's one of the few verticals where worker productivity has stayed relatively flat, right? And you think about how automobiles are manufactured today. You think about how a lot of other consumer products are manufactured today, and it's radically different than what it looked like 40 years ago. 
with construction, it's exactly the same. Um, and, and I think as you move further through the real estate life cycle, you can see a lot of those same trends where, um, you know, the way investors find, discover, and acquire real estate uh, is, is still largely done through Microsoft Excel, through faxes, um, and, and even things like managing, you know, the tenant life cycle, right? Uh, offering different product offerings beyond just a place to live, uh, you know, the right amenities, the right uh, IoT devices to, to help uh, tenants uh, li- live in a better way than they were 20 years ago, I think uh, doesn't necessarily exist yet or, or the industry has been slow to adopt it. So um, yeah. across the board, we, we like to think of, uh, you know, the different verticals in prop tech as you know, really starting from how that building is built. So things like construction tech, uh, through then the acquisition and development life cycle. So, you know, helping investors with tools like better data to identify the markets they should be in, uh, better experiences around um, the acquisition of, of the, the real estate. So uh, facilitating, you know, communication and collaboration between deal teams. Uh, and, and then once you have that property in place, we think a lot about the entire process of the tenant life cycle. So, you know, everything from finding tenants, um, you know, building better marketing platforms to to facilitating, you know, once the lease has been signed, the moving experience. Uh, and then from there, once they're moved in, uh, you know, helping make sure they have a differentiated rental experience, that they have the smart apartment tooling that, that they need, and then hopefully helping them renew, right, when the time comes. I think uh, uh, we look at a lot of these problems and, and verticals in prop tech through the lens of our LPs and our operators in the space. So, um, you know, helping them across the life cycle of, of real estate asset management and, and you know, how they interact with tenants is, is really how we um, segment the space. Uh, and then I think from there, uh, again, a lot of our learnings that we're seeing from our enterprise partners are, are starting to trickle down, right? So we, we think a lot about, you know, the technology and tooling to allow individual investors to, to better access, you know, a, a asset class that's traditionally been, you know, fairly difficult to manage and operate and acquire assets. And so uh, thinking about, you know, how do we start to democratize real estate in certain ways? And has the industry been accepting of this innovation and change? Are you, I mean, other obviously other than the companies that are, you know, helping you raise funds, um, how would you say the industry overall is, you know, looking for innovation and how are they seeking those new tools that perhaps didn't exist five, 10 years ago? Yeah, so a lot of what we're helping RLPs do um, is is really cut through the noise. And, and I think uh, with... Uh, a lot of the funding that's gone into the space recently, you're starting to see more and more startups pop up. And and they're a lot of times focusing on specific needs of large enterprise real estate operators. And our, our LPs are getting inundated uh, many times with calls, right, from startups trying to pitch them different products. Um, and, and so part of what we do is we talk to our LPs on a daily basis. We understand what their needs are as they're operating, you know, a multifamily or single family rental portfolio. And then we go out and identify the best startups in that space. And, and we save them time from having to, you know, meet with 25 different uh, startups to, that, that are focusing on a specific area. We find the best ones and, and we bring them to our LPs and then we help accelerate, you know, that startup's traction commercially. And so I think what we've seen in the real estate industry is 
that in, in many ways, folks are looking to de-risk their technology decisions, right? They don't want to be experimenting with 50 different IoT operators. They want to know who the best is and deploy that across the portfolio. And so um, as we've grown, we have about 2.4 million institutionally managed units now uh, within our RETLP family. And, and I think we've been very successful in rolling out technology uh, in, in a way where uh, folks trust you know the the startups that we choose are are the best ones in the space, and then they'll oftentimes roll it out across their portfolio, and uh, that provides um, you know a, a mark of affirmation in many ways. And what we've seen across this the real estate industry is it's an industry that that follows uh, in many ways. If if they know that a technology has been vetted and that another large scale operator is using it, um, I think folks are often you know it makes the purchasing decision right. much easier. Right, right, right. What are the typical exit strategies here? You mentioned one of your companies has gone public through through a SPAC. I mean, I've seen you know one of the big three, four sort of global brokerage firms kind of been have been acquiring these companies to sort of add on to their services and their offerings. Is that the typical kind of thing? Uh, well, obviously, Autodesk has has acquired a couple of firms, mm-hmm. you know. Too. Um, how how do you see that that evolving? And 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 are there companies? That are outside of this sphere, perhaps like Autodesk, that are kind of looking more deeply into these opportunities too. Yeah, so I think there's a, a couple of ways that that a company uh, can can start to graduate, right? Uh, as they as they scale, um, I think we've had a couple of companies that that have exited through M and A processes where. Uh, you know, strategics in the space, companies like Autodesk or JLL, um, you know, are, are often eager to, to acquire uh, technologies that they see as core to their operations or that help them expand into new markets. Um, I think another interesting trend we've seen is that essentially every generalist venture capital and growth equity fund now has a partner or someone covering prop tech. And so there's a, a pretty large interest uh, in, from generalist investors as some of our companies uh, uh, mature past Series A into Series B and beyond uh, to, to invest in, in prop tech. And I think they're seeing the same macro trends, which is an industry that that's rather behind other verticals in technology in adopting technology, um, but but also one where the the values of of the the underlying real estate are, are astronomical, right? So it's a huge TAM in many ways. It's it's very large scale operations that that do need to uh, a refresh, and so we're seeing a lot of excitement from generalist funds in, in deploying into prop tech, um, and and they're doing so typically at a bit of a later stage than where we focus on, which is Series A, uh, and then from there. Uh, you know, we we are also seeing uh, a number of companies and and uh, start to graduate to to the public markets as well, whether that's through SPACs or or pure uh, play IPO uh, processes. So I think the liquidity options for for companies in, in the space are increasing, um, and and at the earliest and uh, stage, you know, again, there's there's quite a bit of competition. Uh, for for the best startups, and so um, you know, if you're a, a credible operator that that's running, you know, a company uh, in the seed or Series A stage, um, a lot of times, you know, you'll have three, five, ten uh, term sheets, and so I think it's also important as an investor in the space to to have a strategy that's differentiated. And I think for us, um, a lot of that comes down to our uh, strategic LP base and, and our ability to really drive. 
revenue and, and outcomes for for our portfolio companies. Yeah, this might be a bit of a sort of a you know trite question, but I would love to you know get your perspective in terms of kind of what are some of the trends that you're seeing across this industry, not not just in exit strategies, but 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 overall in terms of you know product development and kind of you know evolution of services and and things like that. Yeah, so I think the the one of the bigger trends we've seen in our core multifamily uh, LP base is just the acceleration of. Uh, certain trends like self-leasing uh, that that have been caused by the pandemic, right? I think in March of 2020, a lot of leasing offices had to shut down for months. Uh, there were a number of uh, limitations around just how apartment operators could uh, really facilitate that that whole leasing process, and and I think yeah. that has um, uh, really created a push for operators to think about uh, you know things like access control to, to buildings, how they can facilitate an experience um, uh, that's similar to you know a walkthrough with a leasing agent, but done remotely or, or done uh, purely through through uh, a phone. Um, and, and then I think you know that's pushing through as well to things like the actual paperwork and, and the CRM management of, of the leasing process. Um, you know, we have a portfolio company called Funnel that that's addressing a lot of these issues uh, with our multifamily operators and helping them create a fully digital leasing experience. And so, I think COVID's accelerated a lot of the digital adoption around just finding and placing tenants uh, over time. Um, I think another very large trend that that folks in the industry are thinking about today is just uh, the rise of large single-family rental operators. Um, Yes, yeah, and and a lot of that started, uh, you know, post two thousand eight, with uh, operators like Invitation Homes buying up rather large portfolios of, of single family rentals across the U.S. Uh, we're lucky to count both Invitation and Progress, two of the largest SFR operators as LPs, and I think what we've seen is. Uh, you know, there continues to be large flows of institutional capital into this idea of buying more SFRs across the U.S. and uh, as as institutional capital flows in there, they uh, often realize that you know, once the real estate's been acquired, it's actually quite tricky to manage, right? Because uh, you know you'll have <laughs> you'll have a thousand homes across the Phoenix uh, metropolitan area, and and you need to uh, service them. Uh, you know, the roofs could break. Uh, routine maintenance while tenants are inside. Um, you need to be able to lease them effectively without a centralized leasing office, like in an apartment complex. So, you know, how do you do that? Probably through IoT and and smart locks. Um, and then you have a, a pretty different resident experience, right? Um, where you need to keep residents happy. You need to make sure that they're doing the maintenance for for the homes that that uh, are are necessary. And so, I think what's really interesting is just some of the technology adoption that we've seen. Uh, SFR operators uh, adopt. They were one of the first to adopt self-leasing far before uh, multifamily operators really adopted it because it was so difficult to show, you know, that many homes across such a wide right, geography. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Have they have they found people that are looking at homes? And you you mentioned some of the people that have um, adopted, uh, you know, the ability to you know showcase a you know you know without sort of having to physically be there. Have you found that people that are using these tools are also um, welcoming that as well? That it's that it becomes you know easier instead of you know looking at two properties in one afternoon. You can look at fifteen now, right? Um, has that been evolving also? 
Yeah, I think certainly there's uh, on the consumer side, it's it's welcomed, right? Um, the ability to uh, remotely enter uh, homes. The you know we're looking at a company right now that helps uh, SFR operators facilitate uh, digital showings much easier. So things like three D renderings, um, you know, things like being able to uh, potentially digitally stage a home, right? So that you don't have to bring in physical furniture. So I think all of these trends make it easier for the consumer and it ultimately comes down in many cases to improving that tenant experience and making sure that uh, folks can make an informed decision, uh, potentially from even out of market, right? If you know you're moving to Phoenix from Houston, uh, this technology is a game changer in many ways because you don't have to fly out ahead of time. You can see, you know, to your point, 5, 10, 20 homes and, and make a decision that way, right? So I think it's fundamentally changing the resident experience. And I think um, it, it's been interesting for us having an LP base of both some of the largest multifamily operators and single family rental operators because we bring them together a couple times a year, uh, once in person in the summer with uh, our LP summit out here in Park City, and then uh, through quarterly and monthly calls just to give them an update of what we're seeing in the prop tech market. And I think what's been interesting is just the cross pollination of learnings uh, between the you know single family operators and and the multifamily operators. I think having them sit together at dinner and talk about how their yeah. operations are different, but also what technology excites them. I think um, you know oftentimes there's some really really cognizant and interesting learnings that they can share between each other. Yeah. Has this industry gone global um, in scale? And if so, where are you noticing some centers of innovation popping up? Yeah, so I, I think this is probably less from my RET chair. Uh, but you know, before I joined RET, I, I worked for a couple of years at, at a global fund called Nasper. So we uh, invested a lot in emerging markets. And it, it is interesting. You're, you're starting to see uh, a lot of uh, trends that that are accelerating globally. Um, I think one of the larger ones is uh, this idea of of short term rentals, right? Um, so uh, Airbnb, you know, has gone very very global, and uh, a lot of times, as a real estate or asset owner, you have to think through, um, you know, should I keep my should I keep renting out to longer term tenants, or could I potentially get a better yield and, and better uh, outcomes by by converting this to short term rental? And I think um, that trend is happening in the U.S. We have a portfolio company called Casa uh, that that offers and, and provides um, you know short term rentals, but you're you're also seeing that in markets that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, uh, you know, there's there's a company called Red Doors out in Southeast Asia that's converted a lot of buildings into shorter term rentals that they then market on websites like Expedia and Airbnb. Um, I think, you know, that continued commercialization of short term rental uh, globally is, is going to be a big trend for, for years to come. I think uh, another area where a lot of money has gone into in the US is around uh, just the consumer house buying experience, right? So, you know, companies like Zillow, um, companies like Redfin that, that help, uh, uh, consumers, you know, buy and sell real estate in a more efficient way. Um, you're seeing to a greater extent globally because things like uh, the, uh, you know, listing sites that we have in the U.S. just simply don't exist in a lot of other markets. Things like the MLS don't exist, and so I think you'll continue to see uh, fairly fast adoption of 
a lot of what we see as fairly standard technology in the U.S. in, in global markets. Um, and, and that, you know, I think will continue to, to accelerate for years to come. We've heard that COVID has been sort of the great accelerator of, you know, trends in every industry right across the board. Um, do, do you do you think that it's also been the same for, you know, prop tech? Do you feel that over the last 24 months kind of prop tech has taken off? Now, I know it has been on that path, you know, in 20, from maybe 2015 onwards anyway. Um, but I would just love to sort of hear from, from, from your perspective. Have you seen an even, an even more accelerated kind of, you know, interest and growth in this, in this area sort of post, uh, post the start of COVID, if, if you will? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, in many ways, COVID has, uh, accelerated the, the trend of, uh, technology adoption across prop tech. And I think the, the first place that starts is, is really around the mobility of, of populations, right? Going back to my personal story, you know, moving from the Bay Area to, to Park City, I never would have uh, considered that, right? Before COVID really changed things. And, and uh, I think COVID has, has made, you know, uh, remote work more possible. And so our, our LPs have to adapt to that, right? Um, and I think, uh, you know, we've invested in a number of companies that uh, help our LPs adapt to that, you know, more mobile population. We uh, have a company called Furnish that provides shorter term furniture rental, right, which uh, really resonates with folks who maybe want to try living in Nashville for six months or try living in Miami for six months and, and they don't want to commit to, you know, furnishing a place. I think, again, companies like Casa help folks find housing. Uh, for those shorter term moves to to test out different locations uh, and and uh, you know figure out whether it's a place they they want to live. Um, uh, I think you know going back to this idea of the core operations of our LPs, um, you know, COVID has accelerated the adoption of a lot of things like three D visualization and mapping. We we have a portfolio company called Ingrain that that helps um, you know folks understand. You know, I'm interested in a unit, but spatially, where is it within an apartment complex, right? Is it overlooking the yeah. pool? Is there going to be a lot of noise from that? Does it have a good view? Um, so I think, you know, tools like that are, are starting to become almost table stakes for apartment operators, right? To, to help folks understand, uh, you know, is this the place I want to live? And then I think, you know, going back to core operations, uh, even things like maintenance, um, you know, being able to uh, uh, remotely file a ticket, um, and, and send and know where a work order is um, instead of having to go down to the leasing office and check in via uh, phone or paper or pen or email um, is, is a big trend we've seen. Uh, we, we have a portfolio company called SitePlan that helps facilitate a lot of that. And so I think you know, a lot of operators are starting to think through how do we uh, improve the, the tenant leasing experience? How do we improve the tenant day-to-day experience with without you know necessarily having more employees on site but uh, relying more on technology to, to help facilitate some of that so I think uh, covid covid's been a big uh, uh, driver of that and I think uh, we're, we're continuing to, to see um, you know CTOs and CIOs think about you know what's next and, and how do we really stand out in in a, a marketplace um, where tenants have you know frankly a lot of choices on where to live it seems inevitable also that there are going to be failures in this industry and and I'm sure there have been some um, how have folks learned from that you know what, what have been some kind of big lessons learned maybe 
maybe even some anecdotes from some of the failures that maybe um, we can talk about and sort of how how those pieces have been, you know, picked up and uh, hopefully improved others in the process. Yeah, I, I think, you know, for for us at RET, we're uh, pretty proud of, of our track record to date. Um, not, not only the, the larger wins like SmartRamp, but also, you know, we've made 23 investments and, and we haven't had a single write-off. And, and that's exceedingly rare in venture, right? I think most VCs subscribe to this idea of, you know, uh, a barbell theory of outcomes where you have a few winners and, and you have a lot of companies that, that you fund that don't find product market fit. Um, I think for us, because of our model and how we're typically vetting investments with our LPs ahead of time and asking them, you know, would you use a technology like that? It really helps us de-risk a lot of our investments because by the time we write that check, we know that they have a customer base. But it also works both ways where we're making in many ways an implicit promise to our LPs that we will continue to support and back a company, right? If they decide, you know, we're going to deploy smart rent across our portfolio, we can't really let that company die, <laughs> right? Then, then they're going to have a bunch of uh, bricked IoT devices. And so um, I think for us, we, we take a bit of a different view than the traditional VC. Now, that being said, there will be failures in, in you know, across the board in, in prop tech, right? And that's part of the evolution of, of any industry is, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's going to be some companies that work and some that don't. And I think the, the largest and most public failing has probably been a company called Katera, um, in, in the construction tech space that, that blew up pretty spectacularly. And I think, um, you know, there, there's some good learnings from, from the, the companies that have failed in the space. And I think for us, the, the biggest is probably, um, y- you know, it, it's a space where execution matters and where uh, uh, product market fit matters. And so I think in, in many ways, uh, it's not a, a space in a business where you know the perfect product is going to win. Um, and, and I think what we've seen is being able to facilitate uh, the sales process with many of our portfolio companies and, and get adoption across our LP base. Right is is super important. Um, the industry has been littered by the the corpses of startups that you know have waited uh, for an answer from you know the Tishmans and JLLs of the world, these large operators that maybe take 6, 12, 18 months to make a decision, purchasing decision on technology, right? And during that time, if you're a high-burn startup, you're burning you know, a million dollars a month, you, you may run out of capital before you uh, get adoption. So I think uh, we've seen that disciplined teams that can control their burn, that maybe have a differentiated strategy around hiring talent, potentially offshore, is is super helpful. And then what we do at RET is, uh, you know, we help push the product to the decision makers, the CTOs and CIOs that can make a purchasing decision um, for an entire portfolio, so that you're not just selling, you know, maybe property to property. Uh, you're being rolled out across all 500 properties that uh, a real estate operator has. So I think you know, being able to to uh, run a fairly lean operation that can withstand cycles is really important, and then having the ability to to sell to some of these larger operators in in a way that uh, is at scale um, are, are super important in the industry, um, and oftentimes more important, frankly, than you know, is your product ten or twenty percent better than a competitor's. Yeah, and what's interesting about that, and and, and you just sort of said it, um, is the industry more on the B two B side than the B two C side? 
um, how how would you you know distinguish sort of where 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 the majority of these ideas kind of fall into? Yeah, so we're primarily focused on uh, businesses that sell to uh, real estate operators, right? So um, I think the the majority of our portfolio sells B two B. We do have a number of investments, companies like Furnish um, and, and TurboTenant that, that sell to consumers as well. And I think what we've seen is with um, generalist interest in the space um, is mostly focused on the B2C side, actually. Uh, there's, <laughs> I, I always joke, there's about a thousand startups that are focused right now on improving the consumer uh, house purchasing process, right? So how folks like you or me buy a home. And and I yeah. think part of that is because there's a lot of really smart software engineers in Silicon Valley who've bought a home once and said, man, this, this sucks, right? We, you know, I had to send everything to Bank of America six times to get approved for a mortgage. And, um, you know, the process took 30 days. And I think I can build a better product to do this. Um, but what we've seen is because it's an easy to understand problem and it's one that a lot of people go through. Um, uh, it's also highly regulated though. Right. And so right. I think there's right. a lot of capital flowing into that process of, of how individuals buy and sell homes um, at multiples that we frankly feel are quite inflated. Um, and so I think where we've seen our ability to drive the most value and where there are pockets of, of, uh, companies that we think are, are relatively undervalued um, are uh, on the boring side of the business, frankly. Right? Um, technology that that helps uh, existing real estate operators more efficiently run their operations. So we we have a bit of a bias towards the B two B side, but uh, you know we continue to to keep an eye on on the B two C side, and, and we hope you know that that process for individuals becomes easier and easier over time as well. And um, I think. You know, we just haven't been able to pull the trigger on on as many companies on that side of the house. Yeah, and now that there's attention on on this industry, what do you think this means for innovation? What do you think it means for fundraising? What do you think it means for you know competitors of yours, <laughs> right? Who are maybe not necessarily exclusively in the commercial real estate space, but you know are obviously venture capital firms that want to get get into here. Uh, do do you see more of all of that? Yeah, I think it's going to be important to to you know have a, a track record, right? And I think um, you know we've gone through a couple of cycles of uh, fairly easy capital right now, where um, you're able to to quickly raise uh, a new venture fund, where where you're quickly able to to you know deploy capital. But I think um, you know especially with some of the choppiness we're seeing in the public markets today. I think we're very focused on making sure that uh, you know we can point to a, a, a track record of realized returns for our LPs, and 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 also realized value in many ways of, of helping improve their operations across the board. Right. So I think we have a dual mandate, as you noted uh, earlier in the podcast. One is obviously returns, but two is uh, in some ways being outsourced corp dev and and. Uh, a source of innovation for for our LPs, and I think that's going to continue to be really important for for us as we grow. Um, you know, I think as increased attention uh, is focused on the industry, I think it's great for for you know the the funds that are uh, exclusively focused on prop tech. It means there's more uh, generalist investor capital to 
to uh, help take some of our companies from you know series B onwards to to the public markets or some other large exit event and and we realize we're you know not perfect at, at everything right we're um, I think experts at the real estate industry we understand how it works and uh, some of the needs that operators in the space have but um, you know there's going to be better funds that that are better experts at things like payments or you know, how to scale vertical software and so um, we we work a lot with our companies to think about you know now that you've raised capital for us and from us and you've gotten to a certain scale you know who do you go to next right to, to help fill out some of the gaps that that we might have um, so I think you know differentiation is going to be important making sure that um, you know if you are a new investor in the prop tech space that that you have some sort of angle and uh, some sort of differentiation uh, so that entrepreneurs will uh, you know realize that that your capital is is better than taking a check from someone else I think continues to be increasingly important not just in prop tech but across the VC landscape yeah and Aaron is my final question here if uh, if uh, there's a budding entrepreneur listening to this podcast and he wants to reach out to you guys what would be some advice that you would give give to her or him about you know how to position the idea how to approach you guys and potentially even you know how to how to make sure that this is this is a winning formula yeah we're always open to to uh, working with new entrepreneurs in the space and and we think um, you know, frankly, some of the best centers of innovation uh, and some of the best companies we've backed are not in Silicon Valley. They're in places like Kansas City. Um, we have a portfolio company that's based in Honolulu, uh, you know, places like Fort Collins in, in Colorado. And I think part of this, what COVID has, has taught us, I think, is that, you know, talent markets are no longer just centralized to specific cities. Um, the talent wars have gone global in many ways, and we, uh, I think, are, are open to, to working with entrepreneurs uh, uh, across the, the U.S., Canada, globally. Um, I, I think if you are someone who's working on an interesting startup in the space, really focus and validate that there is a, a need for uh, you know your product. I think having a couple of early customers that can uh, really act as champions is is important. This industry is one that follows. If they see someone else with a great product that's helping solve problems, everyone else is is quick to hop on board. So uh, making sure you have some early data points around you know real value creation is incredibly important. And then I think uh, making sure that you're you're disciplined in many ways, that you're hyper focused on solving a specific problem, that you're uh, not letting burn get out of control, I think uh, is going to be increasingly important, um, especially as we go through a, a cycle where I think funding markets may be slightly tighter, um, just given, again, what's happening in the public markets. And so um, I think you know, just being able to, to package that together and then tell a clear and concise story um, to investors, uh, you know, something that gets through in a 30 or 45 minute call, I think is, is incredibly important. Um, and so, you know, I think that that would be the advice is just making sure that, you know, you're focused, you're, you have everything packaged properly, and that you're foundationally building the company in a way for success um, through multiple market cycles. Aaron, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and tell us a little bit about what you're up to. Uh, stay safe and uh, look forward to connecting with you soon with some uh, hopefully news about companies you guys have helped launch. Awesome. Thanks a lot for the time, Vlad. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry 
and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business. Thank you.